An Instagram post gets an unexpected boost. A TikTok catches in the algorithm. Sometimes that's all it takes to launch someone into internet fame. But then what? This Blew Up is a new podcast documentary that reveals how social media stardom is made. It's a different kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. You can listen to This Blew Up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. It is Tuesday, December 20th. And we are back with the part two of our discussion of the biggest debacles of the year. I feel like it's going okay. Greg, are you learning anything about the debacles? I always do. I, I learn something every time you and Lucas chat. Not just I'm always right and Lucas is not. No, well, we got to keep doing the Twitter polls and let the people decide, like Elon Musk. That's true. He got a lot of love for the last Twitter poll. I feel like it's biased, but whatever. I'm, I'm a Twitter election denier. <laughs> uh, all right, so we got through three of our categories. We're going today into the executive on the hot seat for this year and the big debacle of the year, the biggest debacle of the year. And uh, we'll have a call sheet after. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right. Who's on the hot seat? You can go. I mean, it's got to be Zaz. Well, see, I don't want to get into this because this overlaps a little with debacle of the year, but continue. Well, okay, I have a different, I have a slightly different debacle of the year, but maybe it's all related. I'll be quick. All right, yeah, yeah. You go with go with Zaz. Why is Zaz up on the hot seat? Because he orchestrated this coup, right? He he ran a much smaller media company. He had grand ambitions of trying to combine a bunch of different companies to better compete with the Netflixes and Disney's of the world. He pulls it off because he finds AT and T at this weak moment. He gets you know Warner Brothers Discovery home of what has historically been one of the great movie studios and TV studios in Warner Brothers, home of HBO, this sort of platinum asset that that everyone from Apple on down has wanted over the years. And instead, it's this guy who has been a cable network guy his whole career, and now he gets to be, kind of take the lap in Hollywood. Um, and look, so far this year, we've we've talked about it a little bit. He's he's slashed and burned, found lots of costs. He's reversed everything the previous regime has done. He's he's tried to generate extra money by licensing to other people and doing deals. And and 
Um, he's gotten just a ton of bad publicity for it, which was to be expected. I think that they have completely mismanaged the communications around it, but that's a separate issue. And I think for now, he's been able to say, look, this is what we have to do. We have this big debt load. Wall Street's saying they don't want us to go all in on streaming. We're being the rational business executives implementing a new strategy that will be good for the company going forward. And that's all well and good, but he has to deliver on it because the stock of this company is has plummeted all year. It's it's the I think it's below $10 a share right now. Um and he not only is it, does he need to prove to Hollywood which has doubts about his stewardship and cost accounting at HBO to his employees who've been completely demoralized by all these layoffs to investors who clearly don't believe in the strategy right now but he's at risk if this gets any worse of there being some kind of proxy fight or an activist investor or someone seeing this as their opportunity to come in and once again get HBO for a bargain of a price um, and it just it, it he's he spent all of this year trying to sort of right size the business and stabilize the business, and now he's got to execute with a good strategy, or he's in a world of trouble. Yeah, they keep pointing to 2023 and saying, "Oh well, you know, this has been a tough slog this year. We're having to make all these cuts, and we're having to make tough decisions. And once we get over this, and once we get past this tax credit situation where they could write off content." and get a huge tax credit in the year that they did the deal. And then once they do that, everything's going to be fine in the new year. But the problem with that is they don't know what this economy is going to bring. And they've already revised down their projections once, and they've revised up the cost cutting that they need to do. And if this situation gets worse, there's no promises that they aren't going to have to make more cuts in the new year. And that's when it really gets bad because they've made these promises to their people that once we get past this, it's going to be better. I don't know if it's going to be better. Yeah. The, the, the wild card here is that Zaslav is being enabled slash protected by his largest investor, who is John Malone and his company Liberty. And Malone, from everything I have heard, has endorsed this strategy, thinks that it's fine and that they will come out on the other side as a better company that will be positioned to survive the streaming wars. Um, so you know, as bad as it gets, won't Malone protect Zaslav here? Yes, but to his, to, he's, he's, he, he will protect him to the best of his ability. It's, it's, he's, not the, uh, he's not a majority shareholder. He's not a controlling shareholder, I believe. Mm -hmm. He is a significant shareholder. But from a, a, you know, a public stock perspective... AT&T shareholders own most of the company because of, of, of how that transaction happened. And right. so it, it's it's available for people to come after. Um, I mean, the other the other thing to say is, look, Zaslav, for, for uh, kind of his relative inexperience in the kind of traditional Hollywood business, has proven to be a very savvy operator over the course of his career. And when, when people have doubted him and when people have wondered mm -hmm. what's going to happen with the company he's run, he's managed to pull things off. They haven't always worked in the long run, but he's very good at sort of doing what he needs to do in the short run. And then when he comes up, faces some big existential problem, he comes up with an even bigger swing, which is what this is, right? Like he oversaw a bunch of these cable networks that he saw were trending in the wrong direction because of cord cutting. And so then he swallowed scripts, which was other cord, which was other cable networks that got a little bit bigger. It's not like it made it more safe, uh, relative, you know, or protected from cord cutting, but at least yeah, the scale that you you weren't gonna have pay TV operators like Comcast to drop him. Then when the situation got even more dire, 
or dire again, I should say. He saw that Discovery Plus wasn't really going to be a solution. He swallows something else. And so to me, he's a deal maker. And the, the obvious evolution here is that he either sells the company to someone else or 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 merges or buys something and builds his empire even bigger. Right. All right. I'm going to move on to my hot seat executive. And I'm going to pick Brian Robbins, who is the head of Paramount Pictures. So I, I think this guy was brought in uh, in the fall of 2021. He replaced a pretty popular film executive in Jim Giannopoulos, who had run Paramount. And this guy was a you know career. He, he worked in kids television. He'd been a film director. He had done a bunch of, of jobs. Had never run a film studio before, but was Sherry Redstone's kind of handpicked person. And the interesting thing, which often happens in Hollywood, you get fired, and then the movies and or shows that you had in the can start coming out in our hits, and people start to second guess the, the second guess the firing. That's what happened at Paramount. One after another in 2022, Paramount movies were hits. You go all the way back to Sonic the Hedgehog 2, to Scream 5, obviously Top Gun Maverick. They had the Channing Tatum, Sandra Bullock movie, uh, Lost, Lost City, I think it's called. That was a hit. They had Smile, which was a big horror hit in the fall. So Paramount actually did really well in 2022 with a bunch of Jim Giannopoulos' movies. Now in 2023, we are going to start to see the results of the Brian Robbins takeover of Paramount. And it's unclear what they've got. Other than a Mission Impossible movie this summer, that is going to be, my guess is the biggest Mission Impossible yet. Just the halo over Tom Cruise right now. Um, People are going to show up for his next movie, and he's already doing the crazy stunts and jumping out of an airplane on YouTube and things like that. So I think that, that that Paramount has a hit there. But other than that, it's a bunch of question marks for 2023. And we're going to really see if Brian Robbins is a movie studio head. Yeah, I guess. So I was interested, one, because as you mentioned, Paramount's had a great year. And so even if it's not, they weren't his movies. Um, it means that there's not a tremendous amount of pressure on him right now. Well, and that matters. Sm- that matters that they're not his movies. Now, he is taking credit. He t- he's taking he he will take credit and has made certain small decisions like Smile was supposed to be a streaming movie. He decided to release it in theaters. It became a big hit. There are things like that and the marketing team around him. Sure. I mean, it's a whole studio. So he looked at the scores and said, this movie's testing really well. Let's put it in theaters. It's not that expensive. Great. Doesn't take a rocket science. No, but how? But a lot of the movies for next year still aren't really his movies, right? There's a Transformers, Mission Impossible. Do we really call that a Brian movie? We do not. That's what. That's why I'm carving that out. Transformers is that a Brian Robbins movie? The Transformers movie, I mean, was developed under him. It was greenlit before, but and then there's a they have a Dungeons and Dragons movie that uh, may or may not hit with Chris Pine. Yeah. There's Paw, there's a Paw Patrol movie, which because he also is Mr. Nickelodeon, that is his, but that's likely to, to work, I'd assume. I don't know. I mean, there's a, they're only releasing like seven movies next year or eight if you count Babylon, which is probably not going to do very well. Yeah, I just feel like it's now when these movie executives come in, they have a honeymoon period when the movies aren't theirs and they can kind of set their team and figure out what they want to do. And this is now that honeymoon is now over. Yeah, I, I I take your point. I think he's probably pretty safe next year. But all right. 
We are we are at overall biggest debacle. Um, so, I, Craig, do you have the drum roll? The people will hear it. You won't. <laughs> All right. As long as the people hear it. Drum roll, please, Craig. I'm going to be boring. I mean, it has to be Netflix losing subscribers. It, it, it set the tone for the entire year. It's, it, you already had the economic problems that were mounting and obviously separate from what happened in the entertainment business. Yeah. But the, 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 the loss of subscribers in the first two quarters of the first half of the year for this company killed the stocks for the whole sector. It threw the industry into disarray because nobody knew what their strategy should be going forward. Um, and it also led to a, a change in strategy of a lot of these companies that has ne- negatively impacted a lot of people. Now, I, I'm going to argue against myself, which is that a certain slowdown was inevitable for Netflix. And it's not like I think the company completely mismanaged certain things. But I do feel that they sort of they got a little arrogant and they failed to recognize that this was happening and this was coming. And they have all, had also not prepared some alternatives to that quickly. And so then they had to spend all of this year kind of quickly changing some of their strategy or, or creating new businesses, which I, I give them credit for doing swiftly, uh, but it doesn't change the fact that their stock is off 50% and that they drag pretty much the entire entertainment industry down with them. The crazy thing is that Netflix always downplays the stock movement. They're like, oh, you know, we, we're looking long-term and this is, the market does what the market does. And you know, we're very confident in our, in our fundamentals. We're the, most, the only streaming service that's profitable. But then their actions belie that. They completely changed their model. They went into ads, which they said they'd never do. And then they started cracking down on passwords, which they had always said was not a problem. So they are pushing these, you know, pulling these levers of change that they said that they wouldn't do. At the same time, they're saying, oh, this is fine. Everything's cool. No, no, nothing's on fire here. And downplaying the extent of those changes as they do them. You know, right. you, you talk to them about, you talk, I, I've talked about this with, with both Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos, and you make it seem like the, you know, going into ads is, is a big change. And they're like, eh, not really. Like, we're still all about streaming. And, you know, this was an, a natural evolution, blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, but you guys spent like 10 years telling us you'd never do it. What do you make of the recent report that caused the stock to slide saying that they are not delivering? the ad audience that they promised and are giving people money back? I think it's a month in and uh, I'm going to reserve... No, most of the advertisers and analysts that, um, that I've spoken with don't seem too worried about it. Um, I think if the, that's still an issue in two, three months, then it's a problem. Yeah, I, I think it's not a great sign. And the whole reason that model works is if they can get a bunch of people who were either getting Netflix for free from a friend or were not interested in Netflix because of the price and are interested now to come over to the ad tier. I don't think long term that ad tier works if it's just a bunch of existing Netflix subscribers who go down in what they pay to get the ad tier. Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll see. Definitely could be an issue. I just think it's too soon. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, 
you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. All right, my debacle of the year. I'm going to go a little bit more micro rather than macro because you can make the argument that Warner Brothers Discovery is the debacle of the year. I think you laid out some of the reasons why Zaslav is on the hot seat. But I'm going to go to one division of Warner Brothers Discovery, and that is DC. And if you look at the year that DC has had, it is quite something. I mean, putting aside that they restarted the Batman franchise in March, which was, I think, given everything involved, that movie doing $770 million worldwide is a success. So that put that aside. But the rest of the year is not great at DC. If you look at, first of all, they had League of Super Pets, which came out in the summer, grossed about $200 million, not a hit. They had Black Adam with The Rock, which was delayed out of summer and released in the fall. That movie cost almost $200 million and did about $390, which is not enough when you're talking about DC superhero movies. Um, then they have had one after another controversy and scandal associated with their movies, everything from the Ezra Miller situation on The Flash, where it's unclear how they're going to handle that movie going forward um, with, when Ezra Miller is now uh, been charged with a crime. And there's all sorts of other stuff swirling around Ezra Miller. Um, they had the Zasloff debacle where the Batgirl movie was canceled after it was finished uh, for a tax write-off. And that just enraged all the people that worked on that movie. It became a narrative throughout the fall. Uh, if you look at even Aquaman 2, the star of that, or one of the stars, Amber Heard, um, had her whole Johnny Depp situation that dragged Warner Brothers into it through DC. Um, Ray Fisher, who is on Justice League, has continued to make his claims of discrimination and racism against the studio. Then you look at the executive stuff. They brought in new leadership with James Gunn and Peter Safran this year. And that has been a rocky transition. Walter Hamada, who previously had the job, he knew he was out, but he was a lame duck. And it was this awkward situation where they were supposedly trying to get him to stay and he didn't stay. Then they had this really awkward situation where Henry Cavill was shoehorned into the end of Black Adam as Superman, suggesting that he is back as Superman. Um, the Instagram takeover he did also 
suggested that he was back as Superman. But then days later, the new DC guys come in. They say, you know what? We're not going to do that. And almost seven or eight weeks later, they call Henry Cavill into their office and say, yeah, you're fired. We're getting a new Superman. Um, all of this, they, they got rid of the Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman 3 treatment. All of this has just been a year of chaos at DC. And some would say that it's justified that, you know, when you bring in new leadership, you have to clear house and start over. And they have what they say is a clear plan that they will articulate at some point. But to me, it's the debacle of the year. Yeah, look, I, I I give you credit. I had not sort of tied together all of those different talent-related issues um, and, and seen how many of them affect that company. I have to say, I remain... So when the Discovery folks came in and complained a lot or said they were going to, you know, reboot DC, DC was underutilized. There's been this sort of running narrative that DC isn't working that has always confused me a little bit because I feel like we got stuck in this um, game of comparing it to Marvel. And that's just an unfair comparison. It's like when you talk to an executive in Korea and you're like, you have, your next TV show has to be Squid Game. It's like, well, it's probably not going to be the most successful television show in Netflix history, much as DC maybe is just not going to be able to be the same as Marvel, which has been the single most productive studio uh, in Hollywood over the the last 10 or 15 years. Because DC has had a number of perfectly decent successes. Even in TV this year, Peacemaker on HBO Max, I thought was pretty solid. The Sandman on Netflix, I think was was considered a success. Um, but they have just, they have struggled to craft a narrative and an identity. And it seems like the executives there have, or have been so caught up in trying to figure out what their version is of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they can't just accept or come up with like a differentiated strategy and execute it and be happy with it. Because their their movies do fine, their TV shows do okay. Could they be doing a little bit better? Absolutely. Are they an abject failure? No. But there has nonetheless been this sort of taint around them for a while, um, and and they're now in year year one or like month two of what is going to be a very long rebuild, and we're not going to see the fruits of that for a while. And that's a problem because they have other projects that'll probably come out that won't be you know those owned by the current leaders. It's 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 going to get worse before it gets better. Well, yeah, The Flash is considered a reboot of the whole universe where the, you know now there are multiple Batman and there's, you know, there's a, a Black Adam movie. He's a Shazam villain, but it's not connected to the Shazam franchise. So I think that's what they're talking about when they're talking about cleaning up DC. If you look at Marvel, and I know it's unfair to compare, but that's what we have. And that's what the leadership at Warner Brothers Discovery is comparing DC to. And the perception in the executive suites is that Marvel has somehow de-risked the film business. Meaning right. you can they can make a, a Marvel movie. It doesn't necessarily have to be great, but people will show up anyways. And that is the holy grail of the movie business. And if they can get DC there where they don't have to worry about a Black Adam movie doing well, because if it was in the Marvel universe, it would have been a hit. But it's a DC movie, so it's not. And I agree with you. There have been big DC hits. The first Aquaman movie did a billion dollars. Joker was a huge creative risk and turned out great. They've restarted the Batman franchise. So it's not like DC is, you know, floundering and not not delivering money. It is. It's just not that de-risk machine that they want it to be and, and that Marvel, the perception is Marvel is. Um, so I, I just, 
And then when you throw in all of these controversies and the fact, I mean, this stuff doesn't happen at Marvel. You don't see the talent going on Instagram to announce that they're returning as a role only to be fired eight weeks later. That <laughs> does not happen at Marvel. And there, there, is, there is one Iron Man. There is one Captain Marvel. They're, they do not have multiple Iron Men out there. And I know some Marvel geek is probably going to email me saying that they're, they're planning to do that in the multiverse. Maybe they will. But there has been a consistency of narrative at Marvel, and it has been extremely profitable. And that is what DC wants, whether they're going to get it with James Gunn and Peter Safran, we don't know. But that, you know, this is what DC 3.0, 4.0. We'll see if this one works. Yeah, 4.5. 4.5. All right. That is the debacles of the year. Lucas, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. Okay, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, Babylon, this weekend. You've been waiting for this movie. Uh, we have, neither of us has seen it. Uh, Paramount didn't invite me to the premiere. I think they're pissed at me about something. But uh, you're excited. You'll be there opening weekend, will you not? Yeah, I'm happy to go and, and, and pay for a ticket and sit for three plus hours and, and take it all in. The debauchery. You're just going to let the debauchery waft over you. The depravity. You. I want all of it. I love, I'm a Chazelle fan. I like directors who make original movies. Old Hollywood is one of my favorite subjects. And and I like that Chazelle takes chances. And I love the cast. Yeah, he's he's good. I like, I've liked all three of his movies. This one, I think, is, uh, is he probably could have used an editor. I know some people at the studio were like, really? Three, three plus hours? But, uh, you know. You got to do what you got to do. It must be that good. Can't cut anything. It's, it's that good. All right. My <laughs> prediction, you know, the, the tracking on this one, it's really tough over the holidays because every, you know, between Christmas and New Year, every day is like a Saturday, they say, where movies can play and play and play. So the opening weekend isn't that important. I've seen tracking that is at 18 million. I've seen 20 million. I've seen 13 million. Um, we'll go somewhere in the middle and say it's like 18, 17, 18. I think I'm going to take the under on this movie just because the length and the graphic subject matter, I think is going to turn off some people around the holidays and the marketing has been fine, but uh, it's the, the critics are sort of mixed on it. And what we've seen over and over, which we've talked about on this pod is that when the critics don't absolutely love something and it doesn't feel like it's hitting on all cylinders, the audience can kind of smell that these days and they're just not turning out for these adult oriented movies. Also, you know, it's three hours. Like we said, I think it's five minutes shorter than avatar. So when people have to decide which movie to see, and the only two movies in theaters are avatar, the most successful movie in the history of movies or Babylon, they're pr probably going to choose the three hour movie. That's James Cameron. True. And you're not taking grandma to Babylon. So, uh, that might hurt it as well, but you know, the, a lot of the, the comp here, the best case scenario is like Wolf of Wall Street, which had a big star in Leo. And this one's got a big star in Brad Pitt, had Margot Robbie, small role in that one, bigger role in this one. Um, and it was a three hour depraved opus. And that one was Scorsese. This one's Giselle, a little different. But if they can get to Wolf of Wall Street numbers and get the Oscar nominations, that would be huge for this movie. I do not think it's going to get there. It also has a, a pretty hefty budget. Uh, Paramount is saying 80 million. I've seen reports that say it's actually like 100, 110. Um, who knows who's right on that? But uh, certainly not the inexpensive movies like La La Land, which was about 30 million. 
but you know, apparently you can see it on the screen. I have not seen it yet again. So we will see, uh, I'll, I'll probably see it this weekend or next week. Wolf of Wall Street, you mentioned that movie made $400 million on a $100 million budget. Do you think Paramount, when when greenlighting this and greenlighting the budget for around $100 million, in their mind, were expecting, okay, maybe we can pull off a Wolf of Wall Street-like success and double or triple our budget? Or do you think they went into this knowing this is likely going to be a loss? Well, for I, I don't think most studio executives greenlight movies thinking it will likely be a loss. I think they, they think that this movie with a proven star in Brad Pitt and a somewhat proven actress in Margot Robbie. Oh, she's that proven. They can eke out a, a profit. They probably were not expecting it to be as long and as expensive as it ended up being. I have heard that Chazelle got final cut on this movie only up to a certain length. And then he blew past that length and nobody said, you know what, we're not doing this. Um, so that that's typical. Typically filmmakers can end up doing what they feel they need to do. But I know people at Paramount are not excited that this movie is as long as it is. And it's the previous regime. Like we mentioned on the show, Brian Roberts, Brian Robbins came in when this movie was already greenlit. So it's already been in the works from the previous regime. Um, but I, I think that they think that this is a potential, if it hits on all cylinders, that it could play um, with those Wolf of Wall Street numbers. I think Leo is in a different category than almost everybody else. Perhaps everybody else is then Leo. His movies do well at the box office. They, he's had very few misses. So Brad Pitt is not Leo. Do you think it's harder for Brian Robbins to cut down on Babylon because he was not the one in charge when they greenlit it? Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that because I don't know what his relationship is like with Damien Chazelle. I'm guessing that he probably doesn't have one because Chazelle has worked only in movies and has this is his first movie at Paramount. So, um, I don't think they have a relationship or at least didn't before this, but I don't know the, you can do whatever you want when you come into this. If it's not in the contract, you could say to him, you are given final cut up to two hours and 30 minutes. Now we're going to take 30 minutes out of this movie, or you are going to, you know, we're going to sue you for breach of contract. That almost never happens. I mean, you can, you can see that conversation being like, okay, well, if you do that, I'm not promoting the movie. I'm never working with you again. And you will, you know, this will come back to haunt you. So I, I think that when that, when you get to that conversation, you just let the movie come out. And again, it's not his movie. He's not going to be blamed if it flops. Right. Yeah. I can see rock in a hard place. There's not really much you can do there because you don't want to ruin your reputation by suing a director for breach of contract. Yeah. That just would not happen. Yeah. You, you just, that's not, not, not smart for either side. Um, but we'll see. I would love it if this movie did well. I'd love to see Giselle make more movies. Um, I'd love to see him get studio-sized budgets for his movies. But this movie's got to perform. Well, I'll be there. All right. You're getting the Craig dollar. The coveted <laughs> Craig dollar. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw. And I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck. And I want to thank you. We'll see you later. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.